Hello, and welcome to The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. I am your host, Blaine Bartlett. And today's guest uh, is, is literally a rocket, you know, rocket scientist. And <laughs> he didn't know I was going to say that, but I just want to lead with that just as kind of a teaser. We're going to talk about that in just a minute because the topic here is AI, artificial intelligence, and its impact and its implications for how we work and run our businesses. Um, again, the title of the program is The Soul of Business. And for those of you that are new to the program, just a real quick uh, overview of contextually of what we're looking at when we're having conversations on the show. Um, I've been very fortunate in, in, in having a fairly eclectic group of uh, uh, individuals you know, sit and talk with me about this. Um, Carl Jung, years ago, uh, was asked to uh, define in his own words what he thought the soul was. And, and being a philosopher, um, his, his, his point of view was that the soul is that, that tiny voice that uh, wakes us up at three o'clock in the morning, and this is a paraphrase, but that tiny voice that continuously calls out to be more, to grow, to express. And the soul of business and it almost seems like an oxymoron, um, but the business does have a soul. Business has a soul that wants to be uh, heard. And ideally, um, you know, what we see with a vibrant uh, uh, and um, effective business is creativity. We see emotional engagement. We see things that are actually, we see passion. We walk into the offices, we walk into the factories, and we feel aliveness. And that's what the soul of business is about. Um, when we start to lose meaning, and that seems to be the place that goes, uh, that we go to a lot in organizations, is the meaning has been hijacked by quarterly numbers, uh, quarterly objectives, quarterly results. And nobody really cares about those except the stakeholders that look like shareholders in, uh, in suits. Um, People that are working in and with and for organizations that don't have access to greater meaning begin to lose connection to the soul of the business. And when meaning goes out the door, the soul begins to wither and die. So the idea on this show is because business is the most pervasive force on this planet. I mean, there is literally nothing that is not touched by the activities of business. Business has to have some responsibility in taking care of the whole. Yeah, if we're not acting from a connected perspective, we aren't acting from a soulful perspective. And as a consequence, we're not fostering aliveness. Now, that's kind of my you know, soapbox you know, speech around that, but it's important. I think it's crucially important, particularly in uh, what we're experiencing today, that we as business leaders, we as business consumers, pay attention to what aliveness and connection actually can foster in our experience of, 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 of living. So um, this is why I'm very intrigued with today's conversation, um, because we're speaking here about artificial intelligence. And you know, AI is a great, you know, not potential, it is a great disruptor uh, to business processes, to employment you know, perspectives uh, and possibilities. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that kind of goes on when we start looking at the nature of AI. Peter Scott 
is a futurist. He's an author. He's got a new book out called Crisis of Control that is getting some very you know, interesting reviews. It's uh, uh, selling like hotcakes in a number of different areas. There's, there's uh, a lot to be talked about here, and I'm, we're going to be touching on some of the things in the book. Um, he is, you know, I mentioned, literally a rocket scientist. He uh, works on enterprise computing, uh, computing for NASA's uh, Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Uh, and he's been associated with NASA uh, for over 30 years, and he's got a master's from Cambridge University in uh, the UK. Um, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about what he does uh, in the course of this, but I just wanted to position him uh, as we begin our conversation. And I want to uh, welcome Peter Scott. I'm, you know, just as a disclaimer, I've known Peter, oh goodness, 15 years, 12 years, something like that now, uh, round numbers, I guess, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, good to have you on the show. Welcome. Oh, thanks, Blaine. I, it's it's real pleasure to be here, and I'm just uh, checking off all of the uh, parallels between what you were saying and and the message that I put out, um, because the niche that I inhabit is is uh, helping people understand what the disruption of artificial intelligence means to them, their families, their businesses, their communities, the world. Uh, how they can leverage that, how they can survive it, um, what it means in in in, a, in quite a unique sense of um, dual purpose technology, I guess is is one way of putting it. But um, it, it in in far more extremes than just about any other example of that that you could cite. I I do want to put this this talk in some context because I'm acutely aware that today is March 30th, 2020, and if we'd been having this conversation on March 20th, we would have a whole different background than if we'd had it on March 10th, if we'd had it on March 1st. The world is being reshaped. The cultural norms are being rewritten within hours uh, at this point due to the, the uh, coronavirus. And, uh, and they may be entirely different by the time people even start seeing this. So uh, it, it, it seems that everything now should be set within a context of this is where we are. And people are telling me they're looking at commercials that on TV that were made before this started and they're getting entirely different reactions because they see people kissing and hugging in the commercial and like, oh no, that's, we, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, um, we just one we example. Yeah. Well, you know, and I think it's a, it's a really um, timely example in the context of connection. Um, it, as you know, I wrote a book, Compassionate Capitalism, A Journey to the Soul of Business. And one of the premises of, of compassion and one of the actually predicates of, of compassion is connection. You know, without connection, you know, there, there really is no ground for compassion. And, and compassion creates the experience of connection. So, yeah, in today's world, you know, we physically are being asked to not connect. Mm -hmm. And as an analog or as a metaphor, um, I want to just kind of back into the conversation around AI, uh, artificial intelligence, because uh, the fear of some folks is that it is a great disconnector in some ways. So, you know, how would you address that, first of all? And, and, I, and it may be just a, a part and parcel of beginning just with definition. What do we mean by AI? And we'll just kind of go from there and work forward. There's not a tight, uh, agreed upon definition of artificial intelligence. So what I like to use, and it's it's fairly 
common is that it's computers doing something that a, a person could do, but the person could not describe to you the steps for that formally. One example would be facial recognition. We all recognize faces. We're good at it. You ask someone to explain how they do it, they can't. If they think they can, they haven't thought about it before. And so like, if, if, you, if you didn't uh, ask someone that, they would say, well, maybe we, it, it's, it's like a, a tree decision. If we, someone's a female with jowls and crown is Queen Victoria. Um, uh, crooked teeth and wart on nose is the witch from Snow White. Uh, orange hair plus comb over is, is Donald Trump. They might think that they, that they know this, but then you quickly realize, no, I can recognize thousands of faces. That's not going to work. And you just have to give up and say, no, I don't know how to do it. And, and this is one of the key differentiators of artificial intelligence, because the old saying, the truism is if you, that computers can only do what you can program them to do. If mm -hmm. you can't, if you can't describe how to recognize faces, then you shouldn't be able to get a computer to do it, but they can now do it better than we can. And the way we did that was by training them. So that's artificial intelligence. We still yeah. can't even get them to tell us how they do it, but they can. Right. So it, it's a, it's a, it's a learning algorithm basically mm -hmm. is, is at, at, at the base, you know, you, right. we've created learning algorithms and the, they, mm -hmm. the machines learn and they learn in ways that in, in some, in some ways supersede you know, our ability to actually do it as quickly as they do and as accurately as they, and I'm, I'm using they, you know, to talk about the machine. Right. Uh, and they but, can do these narrow, narrowly focused things um, in many cases better than us. Mm -hmm. But, but uh, that doesn't extend yet to general purpose. So something that can play chess can play chess better than a human on the planet, but it can't drive a car. The car driving software not yet drives better than human beings, but they're, they're getting up there, but can't play chess unless you've told it to do that too. It can only do one thing at a time. And this idea of, you know, I've got two children in the house, as you know, and uh, the, the six-year-old has got skills that we, we have no idea how to do with a computer. Uh, she had those when she was two, that uh, she can navigate the world. She can respond to general purpose uh, concepts, uh, statements, requests, and generalize from them in ways that we don't know how to do with a computer. But when it comes to narrowly focused tasks right now, we can get computers to do things that would surprise many people, like compose original music for a given mood. That's been done. I've heard the results there. They're as good as most human composers. Um, and, and that's the sort of thing that, that scares people, but this is also opportunity. I would, yeah, that would be, yeah, that's kind of where I would hope we would go with this because partly, uh, and, and this is where the soul of business for me, yes, uh, is, is an intriguing, uh, add-on, I guess, uh, to this conversation. Um, and before I go to where this thread in my mind at least is taking me, when you hear the term, the, the soul of business, what does that evoke for you? For me, it's about everyone knowing their place organically and where they fit in, in a business. What, why am I here? The, the purpose fulfillment. Uh, and I think it, it reminds me of mission statements because I've been part 
too many times of efforts to define a mission statement because someone heard that that was a good idea and then it's wordsmithing oh we need an extra adjective here and uh, it's you know um and it ends up on a conference room wall and i and i think about say apple computer in in especially the jobs years and i think do you know what their their mission statement was uh, I, I didn't. A, I actually went and looked at they, they had one. <laughs> uh, put, a, put a dent in the universe. Uh, Something, yes. Point. You yeah. didn't have to know. Um, and, and, and neither did they, the, the, the statement, because it was obvious. They exuded it. They, they lived it. You could just look at them and see what it, it was about. And that's <laughs> what it, it um, the, the soul of business is when you're connected to, to that purpose. Beautiful. And, and that's actually where that thread was taking me. Um, the, the distinction between generalist and specialist, because uh, to the point that you were making just a moment ago about AI being particularly uh, effective in specialized areas. I mean, that's actually where it, it, it shines. And mm -hmm. the broader uh, spectrum is not the domain of AI, at least at this point in time, you know, when we start you know, crossing domains. Uh, going, as, as you said, uh, you know, out of uh, uh, driving a car to playing chess. Uh, you know, the software isn't programmed for that from a generalist perspective. One of the things that I'm very fond of um, is, is a saying, and I forget where this came from, but, you know, the, the soul is the, is the gate, the soul lives, or the imagination lives at the gateway of the soul. It's kind of, you know, that's the threshold entrance is mm -hmm. imagination. And that's where I, I you know, for me, uh, the idea of uh, why am I here comes into play, that idea of connection, that, that for the sake of what, which is a little different than why. You know, why tends to be relatively omnidirectional in terms of its, you know, the answer that it <laughs> solicits. Um, but for the sake of what tends to uh, bring me a little bit sharper focus. And when I'm looking at... Um, what we do as individuals in organizations trying to connect with meaning for the sake of what? Number one, am I connecting for the sake of what are we doing, what we're doing? How does AI get into the picture when we're looking at answering the question for the sake of what? And I'm mm. not sure that there is uh, an answer to that, but I, it, it just kind of popped into my head as we were talking here. Well, it's driving disruption on scales that we've not seen before. And when I was in high school, the teachers could give everyone an idea of what their next 20 years would be like in any career. They could counsel them for that. That's not possible now. We don't know what the shape of the world is going to be five years from now. We, don't, we, we, we shouldn't be preparing people for particular careers. We should be shaping their character for being able to deal with the ones that we can't see. Uh, I'm reminded of a, uh, someone in the AI business who said, I study AI because the more I learn about that, the more I learn about myself, which mm -hmm. is not the sort of thing you would expect to come out of a computer programmer's mouth. And, and, and that's why I'm doing this because it's, we're now seeing this intersection of, of the technology world and the human development world. And I'm, I'm at the, the intersection of that. That's what I'm, I'm doing is trying to bridge those worlds of the, the people that work with people and the people that work with our technology because they both need to come together to deal with this disruption. 
I don't think I'm giving anything away if I say your your email signature contains the phrase memento mori. Um, yes. Remember that you're mortal. Um, the, the, the tag that, um, that's on my mind a lot is Gnothi Silton, you know, know thyself, uh, the know thyself. above the temple of, of, of Delphi. Because as we learn, as we develop AI and uh, it encroaches on our lives and we leverage it, we have to ask ourselves, what are we doing? Um, why am I here? if a computer can do something that I thought was my purpose, that I, I thought was the reason I was here. You know, the old example is, is Kodak, right? Mm -hmm. uh, everyone knows they went out of business. Most people know they also invented the digital camera. But somehow their identity was tied up in long, thin strips of plastic. And, and it didn't need to be. Yes. Uh, if they had a broader purpose that was about, well, what is the meaning of that to our customers? then they might have pirated after all they did invent the, its replacement. Mm -hmm. So, um, they did. I, I, and, and this, this level of disruption, I think really calls on leaders to, to step up, uh, and, uh, um, and lead their people through all the changes that are coming. And I think what we've seen, particularly in, in this response to the coronavirus, is that a lot of people um, confuse drastic action with panic. They can't do one without the other. And I've uh, had conversations with people over the last few weeks where I say, well, you should be looking at doing this, this, and this. And they say, well, I don't want to live in fear. And I said, I didn't say anything about fear. <laughs> I said that you need to take this and this, uh, this action. Well, that, I, I, I don't think it's, they say, I don't, I don't think it's, it, it's going to be that bad. I'm, I'm just going to go about my, my way. And, and I say, well, no, actually, this is, this is serious. Well, I don't want to live in fear. And, and, and around and around it goes. Now, yeah. I've, I, I've been certified in skydiving and scuba diving. And those are two sports where you could be faced at any point with a threat of imminent death. And you have to, no, I don't want to put anyone off um, doing those. It's very worthwhile. But you have to train for that possibility because if you panic, you shred your chances of survival at that moment. Yeah. And, yeah, absolutely. And right there, now, a lot of people, sorry, right now, a lot of people that we're, we're talking to have been thrown back into survival. That's a lot of what I'm experiencing right now. Yeah, not personally, but that's what I'm noticing people are experiencing right now. And, and like you, I mean, I'm a certified scuba diver. Uh, I fly aerobatics. I've flown skydivers. Uh, yeah, I've run dog sleds above the Arctic Circle. I'm mean, you know, just yeah, canoed. <laughs> yeah, there's all kinds of stuff we go into here. But the point being that familiarity, yeah, doesn't require panic. It doesn't require a hair on fire response to appreciate the gravity of a situation. Mm -hmm. And the gravitas is important to understand, I think, in the sense that it allows me to navigate uh, a perturbed environment with some foundation under my feet, if, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's... Uh, yeah, I, I can never know what's going to transpire. I can never control outcome. I mean, this is Stoic Philosophy 101. Um, I can control my behaviors. I control my thoughts, my attitudes, and, and my emotions. 
outcomes are out of my hand. The environment and the results that are going on out there, the events, yeah, I can contribute to them, but I can't certainly can't control mm-hmm. them. Where I can go is what I have to, to work with, which again, I'm going to come back full circle to, to AI and the for the sake of what and just kind of how we handle disruption. And this is one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show, because I think AI, the, uh, the current situation with the coronavirus notwithstanding, we're going to get through this, we're going to move through this, but AI is a long-term play. Yeah, there is going to be more and more disruption as a consequence of AI taking over specialized slots in our business life, in our economic life, and in our social lives. And you gave a talk be- uh, before the British Parliament last month, and last month meaning uh, February of 2020, uh, that was specifically on uh, the impact of AI. Uh, how was that received? Because this is a group of parliamentarians, of politicians, you know, that were in, in policymaking positions. Mm-hmm. So... What, you know, what was their take on what, uh, what you were bringing to the table? Well, they've had a, a lot of uh, evidentiary meetings so far, so it's quite possibly the best informed legislators in the world on, on artificial intelligence. So they're very smart uh, in listening to this. And my presentation to them wasn't about the, uh, my experience in talking to wildly diverse groups of people uh, about artificial intelligence and and bringing them together and what sort of messages uh, land with those groups and it, it's um there's there's always a a common sort of range of reactions in the the room to things like that and that there are some people who are um saying look this is not a, a big deal uh it's not going to be that much of a change and then there are others who are um just like we were saying just now, they're saying this is, is a big deal. And, and then you can see the choice of what do I do about this? Should I panic comes up and, and mm-hmm. um, not that the, the legislators were doing that, but there were a number of strident questions from the audience. And, and I think the, the thing is that no one knows and we have to shift, yeah. we have to shift from a, a a place of needing to know to a place of needing to be because the knowing is not going to arrive. The the prediction is not going to be there uh, in the way that it was uh, and that we need to emphasize character over process and um, judgment over policy uh, because otherwise we just, those, those systems, can't pivot far fast enough. We are approaching the point where the development of technology will outstrip our ability to adapt to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting notion because adaptability has, has it's, it's got a relationship dynamic very strongly embedded in it. You know, mm-hmm. I'm adapting for the sake of what I'm adapting in the face of what, and who's my dance partner in that adaptability dynamic. Um, so the, the problem with change, and I've, I talk about this all the time, but the problem with change isn't the change itself. It's the disruption to relationships that change causes. Mm-hmm. And to the point that you were making, you know, that, you know, the ability to pivot is predicated on knowing myself well enough to, to, to be able to answer the question, how do I know what to do when I don't know what to do? Because the default for the organism and I, you know, is certainty. Yeah, we want certainty before we move. And that's mm-hmm. the whole idea of safety. 
So AI is going, you know, is a disruptor. It's not going to be, it is actually a disruptor. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm really intrigued with the experience that we're having right now with COVID-19, with, with this coronavirus, because it is such a disruptor to business, not just society, but business in particular. Um, because that, you know, a lot of the conversation right now is about the economic consequences. Um, so this is a foreshadowing, I think, of some of the stuff that we're going to be seeing when business starts embracing yeah, more fully and uh, more fulsomely uh, AI, mm -hmm. uh, particularly mm -hmm. in areas of specialization. I do a lot of work with medicine, uh, with docs and uh, with hospital systems. And we were talking before we went live on the show about you know, AI's diagnostic prowess. You know, it can actually diagnose mm -hmm. in, in many mm -hmm. cases better than a, than a trained, seasoned doctor can. That's disruptive. And it, and it starts to go to the question, yeah, who am I as a, as a doctor? If I'm not if I'm not a diagnostician, and if I can't rely on my di diagnostic prowess, what you know? What am I doing? Who am I? Yeah, and that's a question that I think gets really interesting because that's a perturbing question, and it's a relational question. So, where do I pivot, and what do I pivot towards? And I think that there are uh, that there's going to be a, a better outcome on the other side of that. Um, if we look, for instance, at disruption to driving, the, the number of truck drivers that might potentially be out of business due to autonomous vehicles is very disruptive. And it's very painful for people who are at the sharp end of that disruption. But if you look at another way, being sitting in a truck cab for 15 hours a day is not healthy. And it shouldn't be the best choice that anyone has available to them. And we shouldn't force that on anyone in the same way that we no longer force children to sweep chimneys. Mm -hmm. So at, at some point, there will be a better choice. It's just we are right now uh, going to be entering the era where uh, those choices are not um, distributed as optimally as, as the people suffering their consequences would like. This is where businesses, everyone needs to, to come together to figure out a better system. You, um, th this is where business um, combines into capitalism. This is where we need a better system. This is why people in Silicon Valley, which is the greatest meritocracy on earth, who don't agree on anything else in politics, say we need universal basic income because that's the best solution they can think of to the distribution of the dividend that we're going to be realizing from this technology, because otherwise it will go where every other dividend has gone for the last 50 years, which is into the pockets of a shrinking um, oligarchy. Mm -hmm. the, the opportunity is, is, is enormous. I, I mean, and this seems almost oxymoronic in the sense of you know, what many people are experiencing as, as a justifiable calamity, but there, yeah, you know, there is historical precedence for this. You know, during the Great Depression of the 30s, there were more millionaires made per capita in the U.S. than at any other point in our history. Um, that is not going to be an unusual outcome, I think, of this situation. I'm not talking here specifically about, you know, the, the coronavirus. That's <laughs> it's just uh, that's just a mechanism, if you will, in one sense. And I'm being very, very you know, judicious with my words here. Um, it, there's opportunity in every catastrophe. And I think 
you know, one of the one of the reasons I wanted to have you on this show is that AI presents an opportunity. It's a disruptor. There is no question about that. And the convergence of the of, of this conversation with what's going on with the coronavirus, I think it just you know helps bring into relief what that disruption can be looking like in large 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 scale in one sense if it's allowed to kind of take mm-hmm. heed and, and, and take its head and, and run with it. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure where we go with this, but I but I do concur that yeah, a change in the context, a change in the paradigm of what capitalism is, how, what business actually is, is going to be uh, very much required here. And this is where connection, I go back to compassion. We start looking at what do we connect with again? There's going to be a lot of entrepreneurs out there, displaced truck drivers, now have an opportunity to be entrepreneurial in different ways. Well, let me give an a, a example here of some, some good news. And it, I, it, before that, it, it uh, occurs to me that we're going to divide our lives now into BC and AD before coronavirus and after deliverance. And, and, and we're in the chaos in between at the moment. Um, but uh, as an example of the connection that's happening, there is a, I don't know if you remember from about 20 years ago, there was something called SETI at home, Search for Extra, Extraterrestrial yep. Intelligence. And you could I signed sign up, up for it. You did. So you know what I'm talking about. You could sign up your computer to be part of a distributed network that would analyze signals from radio telescopes to see if they could find signs of a signal from um, an intelligent uh, life form outside of our solar system. Well, there's an analogous problem right now, which is protein folding. Proteins are long chains of molecules uh, that can fold up in different ways, makes origami look like a uh, very ridiculously simple by comparison. They can fold up in many, many, many different ways, and that number has a lot of zeros on it. Um, but some of those ways can uh, be useful to us because they then bind with receptors on things like the virus to disable them. But this requires phenomenal amounts of computer power to, to, to do. It's quite arguably the, the, the most difficult problem there is right now. Well, there's an analogy, analogy to SETI at home called folding at home, protein okay. folding calculating that you can sign up your computer to be part of this, this task of doing protein folding. Well, in the last couple of weeks, so many people, and it must be in the millions, have signed up for that, that that now has, and this is as of four days ago, so it's probably much more now, 10 times the power of the world's largest supercomputer. The IBM, the IBM summit. It is now the largest, most powerful, computing engine on the planet. And it's all aimed at finding a cure for the coronavirus. And that's just, that's what people can do coming together. Billions of dollars couldn't have accomplished that. And that's within the days that that happened. Now that kind of connection, the power of all of us together, that's, that, that makes me optimistic that we can, we yeah. can that makes me optimistic that we are learning some good lessons from from this crisis instead of sequestered learning we have crowdsourced learning and yes. yeah and, and instead of specialized it becomes generalized i mean i came across you know, I, I subscribed to peter diamanda's uh mm-hmm. one of his 
<laughs> He's got a couple of them. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Future Loop uh, is a prediction tool. It's a crowdsourced prediction tool. Um, mm -hmm. So, and you can join it, you know, you can contribute to it. And it's the whole idea is to be literally predict the future using crowdsourcing in a very interesting way. You know, aggregated uh, points of view and looking for themes. And I mean, it's, it's, you know, how do you, it's got an algorithm, an AI algorithm that begins to look at where the things begin to fall into a line and what's the significance of this. And next thing you know, we've got something predicted and now there's an opportunity to do something with that. And, and, and the opportunity with AI is to, to now reassess our roles as business leaders, as people in the world. In the industrial revolution, we had to reassess what our role was in the environment of machines that could project power more than one person with a, an ax in their hand could do. And mm -hmm. now it's how in, in the internet revolution, we, we dealt with machines that could process information. Now it's about machines that can think for some definition of, of think. And, yeah. and, 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 and people want to look at this as an either or, oh, I don't want to be in competition with them. They can't do what I do. Well, I, I don't look at it as, as, as that. It is a partnership. Mm -hmm. Both sides need to adjust in a partnership, but when they get it right, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And that's yeah. where we're going. And if we get it right, then the, the, the benefits are, well, you read Diamandis, in, in phenomenal, phenomenal benefits. It's, but it is just, yeah. it, it carries with it an equal risk that you won't see as much in, in what he writes, but it exists. It does. It does. It absolutely exists. I mean, um, the whole idea here of the sum being greater than the whole of, of the parts, uh, you know, just, we just, it's an exponential process. And when I look at compassionate capitalism, that was one of the reasons that I wrote the book is I saw an opportunity for, you know, for capitalism to actually fulfill what it was set out to do when Adam Smith actually scribed the, you know, the wealth of nations. Um, it's mutual benefit and it is the, the whole becoming you know, a, a greater aggregation than the individual sums coming in. And it's through that collaborative cooperative process. And I think today we've got an opportunity uh, to step back. I, I, I know I certainly have been stepping back as I've been self uh, self isolating uh, for the last you know, two, three weeks here. Uh, I've gotten more creative. Uh, I'm writing more. Uh, I've you know, started doing videos that I hadn't you know, only thought about doing, but now I'm playing with some different things. So I'm actually, my business model is shifting. And I know that this is going to be true of a lot of people that are listening. The way I'm going, quote unquote, to market you know, is fundamentally different in some very interesting ways. Now, the aggregation of it is, you know, it may look the same to an outsider, but there's elements that wouldn't have been there had this not occurred. And I think that they're very healthy elements that wouldn't have been there had this not occurred. And I think the same is going to be true with, if we can really get in front of this, the, the whole advent of AI uh, as it becomes more and more mainstream. I, and I think that um, artificial intelligence reflects and amplifies, magnifies who we are. And, uh, a couple of shows ago, you had Joanna Lyman on. Yes, you were talking Joanna about, um, yes, you were talking about uh, diversity, and 
and of course, diversity in the, 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 the workplace uh, is perturbed by bias, conscious or unconscious. AI systems um, will perpetuate bias and, and, and magnify it just on a, on a larger scale. Uh, in, in that sense, it's a, a, another example of a dynamic that I'm often faced with as a software developer when I'm wearing that hat, which is managers want to look to some particular tool to be a silver bullet to solve their problems. And they think um, that, that the right program will, will do that. And I like to remind them that if you have a bad engineer, you, if you give them a power tool, you do not get a good engineer, you get a dangerous engineer. And, and this is true of, uh, of AI, that if it's, it, it will perpetuate bias and it will magnify it because it's doing it in, in so many ways over. But here's the opportunity for us to understand bias. Our software can reflect our values. It already does. If yeah. you look at software through the right lens, you can see it reflecting the values of the people in the system that created it. That's well, going to become more and more true with artificial intelligence. It's, so yeah, my language for this, but I think that this is one that you, you know, familiar with, the, the whole notion of ontological design. Uh, you know, what we're designing is designing us in return. And it's, it's, it's a symbiotic loop. So paying attention to what we're designing makes a big difference in terms of how we actually end up designing not only who we are as individuals, mm -hmm. but also who we are as a society. And that's and a you beautiful thing. And you can't cheat at that. No. You, you have to be who you, you have to be that person to 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 produce that and, and i liken this to what we <laughs> uh, i um i like maslow's pyramid we know maslow's pyramid hierarchy yeah. of needs and that's it we have to and a lot of people thrown into the bottom level of that at the moment um survival and, and so it looks very much as though these issues of uh, introspection and philosophy could be like, let's wait. <laughs> All right, that's not Im important. Uh, we've got an, a crisis to solve. But when that crisis becomes the elongated disruption of artificial intelligence, I don't see it that way. Because what I see is that it, it's essential for us to understand who we are and to act out of the principles that you're talking about in your book of leadership, of character and compassion in order to ensure the survival of those companies, families, communities, and the world. And I see artificial intelligence magnifying that to the point where it's not going to be a choice. It's not going to be an optional thing to be enlightened, woke, uh, if you will. It's, it's that or be, be destroyed. It, yeah. It's that or your survival does not happen. It, yeah. it's, the, it's the parallel to... The emergency happens when you're scuba diving, suddenly your, your air's cut off. Do you panic or do you take three seconds to assess? Do you, do you act out of a, a higher part of your brain, uh, of your, your soul? And that's full circle. Yeah, and that's where, yeah, for the Stoics, yeah, character was the end all be all of a good life. I mean, because life would be reflected by the character that I brought to it. And mm -hmm. I think that's going to be true as we go forward here. Certainly, you know, AI as a design tool is going to be reflective of a character that we're using to inform what it actually is and what it does. Mm -hmm. and, and it's also important to realize that 
five years from now, what we will have is something that no one is predicting right now. Those, those changes happen on, on, on those kind of timescales. Yeah. So the, um, again, it's, it's like preparing for a safari where it might be jungle around the corner, it might be a desert, it might be a mountain. You can't bring all of the clothes, but you can bring your, your mindset, you can bring your, um, your stoicism to that. And mindset, yeah. So that's, we're going to talk about that here just as we, and we are closing here. So um, Peter Scott, I, I, I cannot thank you enough. I mean, I love this conversation. I mean, I always love sitting and talking with you. I mean, these are great conversations. Um, how can people find out more about you and what you're up to? And how can they also get a copy of your latest book, which is The Crisis of Control? Sure. And uh, looks like this. And uh, there's also got an audio book. And if you go to humancusp.com, um, imagine you'll have, you can put that in your description, humancusp.com. There's a, a link there for getting it from Amazon, of course. And I'm also part of a group called the Next Wave Institute. Uh, come together from around the world, people at the same time in this, um, various professions, but uh, with one thing in common that we realized this was something that needed to be addressed. And we are uh, working on bringing this in a form to businesses and especially educational institutions where we can shape the next generation of business people, business leaders, students to understand at a, at a basic level uh, what it means to live with um, and harness disruption. And I that, love that. there'll be links, links to that on the site. Good. Live with and harness disruption. That's, that's <laughs> beautiful. Uh, guest today has been Peter Scott, uh, futurist and author and certainly a technology expert. He's one of the world's leading experts on AI. Peter, thank you very much. It's been a great conversation. <laughs> thank you, Blaine. I agree. Um, Blaine Bartlett here, and you've been listening to The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. Uh, you can find out more about what I'm up to at blainebartlett.com. And speaking of what I'm up to, you know, Peter had mentioned mindset. I have a new book out that I would invite you to pick up a copy of. It's called The Leadership Mindset Weekly, and um, it's just launched. You can find it on Amazon in both Kindle and paperback uh, editions. The idea is that it's, a, it's 52 weeks of uh, leadership meditations that are designed to shift your leadership mindset. And it's the companion piece to um, compassionate capitalism. How do you lead a compassionately capitalistic organization? You have to have a mindset for that. And that's what this particular book is organized around. Leadership Mindset Weekly. And there will be uh, an ongoing uh, mastermind yeah, that we're gonna be hosting. Uh, around the topic of leadership mindset. And you'll find out more information about that on my website, as well as in the book itself. Again, blainebartlett.com. This is Blaine Bartlett, and you have been listening to The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. Thank you for listening.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.